You are listening to the sermon podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. On this Palm Sunday, we continue on in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the king. So this is a familiar story. Uh, If you've been around on Palm Sundays before, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem Um, But what you might not have noticed before, maybe, is that there is a crisis that happens on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, This crisis sort of sets up this whole story. In the verses right before this, chapter 10, uh, verses 46 to 52, Jesus and the disciples are on the way to Jerusalem, and Mark tells us that a blind man named Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus and says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus calls him over and says, what do you want me to do for you? And blind Bartimaeus says, teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus heals him. So we read that, and at first we're like, okay, I mean, that's a a, a great miracle. Chalk up another amazing miracle for Jesus, which it is. But there's something else going on here. There's something big, something very big that causes a crisis. What it is, is this is the first time that someone calls Jesus by the messianic title, Son of David. And Jesus allows it to be said in public about him. So who's the Son of David? Well, when the blind man calls out Son of David, everybody knew who that was. Everybody knew what he was talking about. The Son of David was the Christ, the Messiah King, 
that everybody had, wait, had been waiting for, like for hundreds of years. The, the son of David was the ultimate king, the, the, the final king of the world. And so for the first time now, somebody cries out in public and calls Jesus son of David, and Jesus basically looks at him and says, yes. And everybody goes, especially the disciples. Okay, the disciples would have gasped at this because from the very beginning, from the very beginning, they wanted Jesus to openly declare himself the king. They wanted him to publicly announce this. I mean, they had seen everything about him, his power and his teaching and everything that he could do. And they desperately wanted him to to take this public, to publicly proclaim this because publicly proclaiming it will force the issue. And now he finally does it and they gasp because they know what this means. They know that it's do or die now. This really is a crisis. I mean, because when Jesus publicly proclaims himself to be the Messiah here, that means that that now he either has to do it to, to, to triumph and to take the kingship, take the throne, or else the authorities will be forced to crush him for making a false claim. So when the disciples hear this, when they hear the blind man say, son of David, and Jesus basically says, yes, that's me, they gasp. And they're like, I can't believe he finally said it. They got serious goosebumps here. I mean, they had to be thrilled and terrified by this because they knew that now things, things are going to get real in a hurry this was do or die. Literally, for Jesus, it was do or die. They knew that this was the last chapter. Time was running out. This, this was it, okay? They, they were on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus had just openly declared himself to be the king. And, and so we can't miss this. We have to see the incredible drama here, this, this really intense, dramatic tension that happens right before our passage for today where Jesus triumphantly rides into Jerusalem. Because, I mean, when you understand this passage, the context of this, you realize, you realize that, that once Jesus does this, once he's willing to publicly accept the, the Son of David title... And then, after that, he makes a very public, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, a very kingly entry into Jerusalem. I mean, there's no question. This is a straight-up claim to the throne. Jesus is intentionally forcing the issue. Jesus Christ is not shy about claiming to be king. And you know... that's the thing here. Um, you know, I know we don't usually talk like this, but the, the, there's something really unique about Jesus. I mean, obviously there's no one like him. Never has been, never will be. But, but the thing that's so unique about Jesus, one of the things, is that with other people, he's unbelievably humble. 
Just incredibly humble, loving, gentle, tender, compassionate, serving them. Just incredibly humble. But have you noticed that when it comes to dealing with himself, when, when, it, when it comes to claims about himself, there is not a shred of modesty. Seriously, Jesus is making bold, incredible claims about himself. Because look, right after this, what does he do? Uh, he, he gets into Jerusalem. Uh, the day is winding down. He walks into the temple, takes a look around, goes home for the night. The next morning, he comes back straight to the temple. And what does he do there? What is the temple? It's God's house, right? The God's house. So Jesus walks into God's house and he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And then he starts rearranging the furniture, which is something only an owner has the right to do. I mean, how else can you go into God's house and say, it's my house, and then turn the place upside down? He's saying he's God. Jesus, he may be the most immodest person who's ever lived. He's pushing his kingship. He's putting it out there. He's making sure that everybody hears it. He's not, he's not trying to slip into Jerusalem unnoticed. He's forcing the issue of who he is. And he's doing it for everyone to see. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And uh, I love how Tim Keller puts this. And Pastor Doug mentioned this a while back in one of his sermons too. But Keller says that Jesus rides into town and basically is saying to everyone, either crown me or kill me. No middle ground here. Jesus is forcing everyone's hand. Crown me or kill me. And he's not just forcing the issue back in 33 AD either. He's forcing the issue today for you, for me. Because listen, when Jesus Christ comes to you and claims to be the king, what he's doing is he's saying, you now have a choice to make. You can hate me and write me off as a lunatic or you can lay down your life and serve me completely. But, but there's no middle ground here. There's nothing in the middle. Jesus says, I am a fork in the road. Crown me or kill me. Nothing else. And so, so that's how Jesus comes to us. Because, I mean, you know, as I thought about this, when, when we, sometimes when we come to him, we're like this. We're like, you know, I need some help or Jesus, I need some, some inspiration for my life. I, I need you to be my, my consultant or my partner. I need you to, to be my counselor. And when we do that, when we go to him like that, you know what Jesus says? He says, of course, of course, I'm glad to, but I'm way more than that. I'm, I'm also your shepherd and your brother and your guide and your savior and your friend but I'm not any of these things unless I'm your king. I'm not any of these things unless I'm your king. I will be your king or I will be nothing. 
Jesus says, crown me or kill me. Because, I mean, if you want to kill him, right, if you're screaming at him, if you're angry at him, well, at least you're listening to him. So kill him. Or crown him. Lay down your life and make him the one. The one who you revere and love and trust above anything else. Either crown him or kill him. Because the one thing that he will not allow you to do is just like him. Okay? Uh, I mean, Jesus Christ is not a Facebook friend that you like. He's not a, uh, some kind of personality on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok that you follow. He's the king. So worship him, love him, trust him, pledge your life to him. Or hate him and kill him. But don't you dare just try and like him. He won't let you just like him. He did not leave that option open to us. Jesus is forcing the issue on that first Palm Sunday. But, and not just for Jerusalem, but also for us. Tim Keller puts it like this extremely well. He says, Jesus demands an extreme response from every one of us. He forces our hand at every turn in the story. Jesus Christ is both the calm and the storm. Both the victim and the victor. And you must accept him or reject him on the basis of both. Either you'll have to kill him or you'll have to crown him. The one thing you can't do is just say, what an interesting guy. And those teachers of the law who began plotting to kill Jesus after he shook things up in the temple, they may have been dead wrong about him, but their reaction makes perfect sense. Please, don't try to keep Jesus on the periphery of your life. He cannot remain there. Give yourself to him. Center your entire life on him. But here's the thing. I mean, the thing is, we all know that there are probably people in this room right now who think that all of this king talk is pretty extreme. I mean, sure, you, you, you know, you're here because you admire Jesus. You, you, you pray to him. But you don't really know about this whole idea that, oh, he has to be the king. I mean, he, he, he has to be the very center of everything. I have to give him unconditional surrender or, or nothing at all. You don't know about that. I mean, maybe you don't like that either. And I get it. I do, honestly. But the thing is, once you hear this, you can't go back. Once you hear Jesus' claim to be king, you have to deal with it somehow. You can't run away with this. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is confrontational. He's forcing the issue. 
Jesus Christ rides into Jerusalem and he rides into your life. He rides into your heart and mind and soul and he essentially says, I am the one true king. Deal with it. No middle ground. Crown me or kill me. So Palm Sunday is a day when Jesus pushes back. So listen, why, why would you put up with this, though? Why, I mean, why, why would you let Jesus push us like that? Why, why would you think about even uh, submitting to this? Why? Because Jesus is not just a king, but he's a king who goes to the cross. See, if Jesus was just a king, I mean, you'd still have to submit to him because, I mean, he's the king. It's what you do. He's the king of all kings, so you'd have to submit to him. But since he's not just a king, but a king who went to the cross for you, now you get to submit to him. Now you want to submit to him. Why wouldn't you want to? I mean, seriously, He's a king who went to the cross for you. He's not like a king who who just sits and rules on a throne. Not only that, he's also a king who went to the cross. So now you want to submit to him. Now you want your whole life to revolve around him. Now you want to revere and love and trust him above everything else. Now you want to say, Lord, Lord, Whatever you do, I want to do. Whatever you say, I want to say. Whatever you send into my life, I want to accept that. Because when you were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, you told the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And you said that for me. So now, Lord Jesus, I want to say that for you. Now I want to say Not my will, Jesus, but your will be done. I want you to be the center of my life. It's really the only thing that makes any sense. It's the only thing that makes any sense. I mean, seriously, how can you come to grips with a king who gave himself for you without wanting to give yourself for him. Jesus is the king who went to the cross for you. And when the magnitude of this sinks in, when the magnitude of this sinks in, it will melt your heart. And and when you are melted by this, by, by who Jesus is, by everything that Jesus has done for you, The only thing that makes any sense is to bow the knee and serve at the pleasure of the king. It is the only thing that makes any sense. So all that's left for us is to say, behold the king. The ultimate king, the final king of the world. Crown him, bow the knee, 
Swear your undying allegiance. Revere and love and trust him above everything else. Serve at his pleasure. Or as the people of Jerusalem put it all those years ago, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your son not only as a helper or counselor and and, and not even only as a brother or savior or shepherd, but as a king. And with your Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you would help every person here to know what it means for them to revere, love, and trust you above everything else. I pray, Father, that you, that you would help us to see what it means for each of us to crown Jesus as our king. And it probably means something different for each of us, for everyone hearing this, everyone in this room, every person listening. But by the power of your spirit, Lord, show us what can be and what will be. We pray that you might even do whatever it takes to work this out in each of our lives. For we do pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or streaming this content today. We at Triumph pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you, and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you can jump into. Second, We hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content, and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.